podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On today's show, we have Logan Pennington. He's the drummer and percussionist for Mannheim Steamroller. Logan, welcome, and thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell us, uh, tell us what it's like to be a drummer and percussionist, or both, or one or the other, <laughs> with Mannheim Steamroller. Sure, yeah, well, it's a great honor, obviously. It's a band that's been around for a long, long time. Uh, the history goes back, you know, well into the 70s when the band was actually conceived. Um, and it was actually not a Christmas band originally. Mm -hmm. It was just, uh, we called it the music of fresh air mm -hmm. and, um, it grew into what it is now. And most people recognize it as a Christmas band. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's been great because my dad was an original member of the band. Oh, really? And yeah. So I grew up literally backstage with these guys. Um, our home base is out of Omaha, Nebraska. And mm -hmm. I was always out of school cause it was always, uh, just the day after Christmas, all the way up until New Year's that they would play at the Orpheum Theater there in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And so I would just be six or seven years old, hanging out with my dad backstage and wow. getting to meet all the, you know, original members of the band and just, you know, soaking it all in and loving every minute of it. That's amazing. What did your dad play? So originally he was the conductor on the tour and he did that for many, many years. Um, Basically, what ended up happening in 2008, um, there was um, the idea was conceived to start doing two companies on the road. Um, the band had grown so much that it had basically become this giant production. There was a lot of need to do Mannheim Steamler music in several places. So um, they asked me to join the band and basically play in Chip Spot while he went down to Orlando to do his Grinch album down there at Universal Studios in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And that's basically when I started going on tour with these guys, um, was back in 2008. And um, there are two companies that go on the road simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be lucky enough to be one of the guys that got chosen to go out and do the gig there. So That's great. Congratulations. Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about Chip Davis, who, who founded it? Absolutely. So Chip is amazing. Um, one of the smartest people I've ever known in my entire life, just a musical genius. And, and I'm not saying that lightly. The guy is just amazing to talk to. Um, very, very down to earth person. But um, his ideas are just, you know, there aren't too many other people that can actually match him. And obviously he's, you know, been able to find the success because of his ideas that he's been able to implement and execute. So, um, to try to make it as, you know, condensed as possible here, Chip, um, started the band, I think it was 1976, I want to say. Um, and the idea, uh, was to just start doing original music that Chip had ideas for. Um, at the time Chip was touring with this group called the Norman Luboff choir. And so he and Jackson Berkey and his wife, Almeida, were all together in Omaha. They were staying in Omaha and 
at that time, there was still a big need for jingle writing uh, to write mm-hmm. commercials. And not like today now where you have computers and everything, you still had to go into the studio to do all that. So Chip was actually asked to be one of the songwriters at one of the studios there in Omaha. In Omaha. And so in exchange for, um, instead of taking pay, he was actually able to negotiate a deal where he could just have studio time. Hmm. And that's where he ended up started writing these first uh, Fresh Air albums. And they're based on the season. So Fresh Air uh, one through four are all the different seasons. Um, you know, we've got fall, summer, winter, obviously. So those were kind of the first ideas of Mannheim Steamler coming to be. And it was fairly successful for him. Um, there are lots of good reviews. and. Um, you know, he was feeling pretty good. So, um, he wasn't on any label per se. He just kind of put the music out there, but he did in the back of his mind, have this idea about this Christmas, um, arrangements that he'd been thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so he approached all the major labels about this idea to say, Hey, I'd like to do a Christmas album. They all told him, this is probably the worst idea that you could ever have (laughs) because at that time, and it's still kind of a stigma today, it was kind of the signal of like, you know, the end of a career, you know, for an artist. So, you know, when people would get a little bit older, okay, we'll put out a Christmas album. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Chip really just thought, you know, I think this is going to be something great. So he founded American Gramophone, which is our record label that we put everything out on and put the first Christmas album out on American gramophone, his own label. And I don't know, I think it was 12 million albums later. I think, you know, he did okay for himself and, you know, sticking to his gut instinct and saying, yeah, this is going to be something good. That's great. And, uh, and I mean, we are here in Wisconsin. Uh, You made it from Nebraska to Wisconsin and we'll get to that in a minute. Sure. Uh, And I think you were talking, you were telling me earlier that uh, Chip actually has a Wisconsin connection himself. Yeah. So Chip lived here in Milwaukee for several years. Um, He was actually living in South Milwaukee, which is really cool. He loves uh, the Milwaukee area and one of his favorite uh, places to visit still to this day. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, he would go hang out at Mater's, you know, was one of his favorite places to go. Uh, Carl Roches, yes, uh, was another place. Um, and just, you know, the safe house, I think was the other big one that, you know, he really, really liked going there. And that's just for touring personnel. I've noticed in general, that's probably their favorite place to go. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I love knowing about that. Um, and so, and at, at a certain point, I mean, you grew up being part of the, the Mannheim Steamroller family, yeah. but you also had to get to that level of right. playing. So how did you go from, I mean, how did you get to being that, that capable of a musician? Sure. Well, um, like I said earlier, you know, I was growing up backstage with these guys, literally as a little kid, as I started getting a little bit older into my teenage years, um, it was starting to become apparent to my dad that I was, you know, beginning to be technically proficient enough to be actually a professional musician. So my dad was hiring me for local gigs just in Omaha and Lincoln area for his own band um, to just, you know, cocktails and weddings and stuff. And as I got to be about 18, I went into school as a music major and it was fun. The University of Nebraska, really nice music program there. Um, I didn't really feel like it was something that was, you know, right for me at that time. So my jazz instructor at the time had said to me after the first year of school, 
um, he had worked for Carnival Cruise Lines as a musician. And so he had mentioned to me, hey, during the summer break here, why don't you go apply for Carnival Cruise Lines and take an audition and see if you can go out and do a couple months out there. And did the audition, got it. And that was kind of me not looking back after that. I loved it out there. Mm -hmm. It was just being immersed around other great professional musicians from all across the world and getting to travel obviously all over was really, really great. And sight reading just like crazy. Um, the charts are really, really tough. Sometimes they're just chicken scratch that you cannot, mm -hmm. you know, barely read these. And you're expected to just sight read them down, you know, because you're getting paid to be out here. So that was really, really my best um, training on getting sight reading going um, for several years, uh, several years there. So um, after about four or five years of doing that, I ended up uh, going back into school as a broadcasting major. Okay. And because I was thinking, you know, I mean, my parents basically said, you don't need to have a music performance major. You're already a professional musician. Go in and do something that's different. And that way you'll kind of have, you know, a little bit more diverse mm -hmm. um, chances to go out. And if you want to do music, great. But then you'll have something in your pocket there that you can go outside of music if that's, you know, not something you want to do for the rest of your life there. So as I was playing gigs again there in Nebraska after the Carnival Cruise Lines, um, there were people that had worked with the Mannheim company that were starting to notice me playing and playing well. Mm -hmm. And that was when the ideas started to come up that, hey, you know, we'd like to put another group um, together. And this was before I actually took off on tour. They had the idea where they wanted to stick a Mannheim Steamroller basically tribute group down in uh, Branson, Missouri. And so this was 2006. Um, I was asked to uh, be the drummer for that. And we were, as kind of a joke here, we were called the Air Apparent Band, uh, Fresh <laughs> Air. But it was basically the, the immediate understudies from all the different instruments um, were asked to be a part of that group there. And so um, that was in 2006. I was able to do that for 2006 and then 2007 Christmas. And then after that, that's when I got asked to go out on tour um, and start filling in for Chip Spot because at that point, Mannheim was just exploding and there was just, there was too much for Chip to do just as a player. He really needed to step back and just be a producer and just kind of oversee things. So, Got it. Yeah. So did you then get to kind of learn alongside Chip as? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was super, super kind to me. Um, and I knew he was obviously somebody that was well known, but he had no problem letting me go up on his drum set and just, you know, tinker around. And um, yeah, basically, I mean, I just, you know, knew these tunes backwards and forwards just from listening to them, you know, obviously at home, but then being at the shows. So you know, unlike the records, when they play the live show, you know, there was always a little bit more embellishment. And that's just, I think, for any band out there, you know, you don't play it exactly just like the record, or at least you don't want to as a musician. I mean, it's just kind of natural nature to want to play a little bit different every night. Mm -hmm. So I was able to really, really sink in on the ideas that Chip was doing behind the drums and percussion. Um, in relation to the rest of the orchestral parts. And as I was transcribing the parts, it was really, really apparent to me that these were not just drum set parts. These were meant to be accentuated parts that were in relation to the rest of the orchestra parts that were going on out there. And they weren't just, hey, I'm going to play drums to this. 
he was writing this as, you know, another piece of the score. And especially when you saw it on paper, it was just like, you've got to play these fills or this needs to go exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to, you know, do as much of that as possible. And then obviously still having my own, you know, spin on things, but I really, really try to pay homage to Chip and his drumming uh, when I play this show, just because it's so important to the, how the music sounds. And I think people, you know, people enjoy hearing that. Right. And what was that? I'm just curious, what was that transcribing process like? Well, uh, it's, it's fairly boring. <laughs> you know I mean, transcribing is not so one of those things that's a lot of fun to do per okay. se, but um, you, you put the album on and you put some headphones on and you get some manuscript paper and then you start notating out um, drums have their own set of rules, just like sure. a piano. Uh, we call it drum clef. So there are just basic, you know, rules that we all kind of abide by as drummers that, you know, the bottom space is always going to be bass drum, next bass up floor tom, mm-hmm. snare drum, and so on and so on. And so I just notated them out by hand. And then at that time, I, I wasn't proficient enough to run Sibelius. So luckily I had a guy named Chuck Bennington, which was my dad. <laughs> and he said, sure, I'll, I'll punch him in for you. But then the payoff was, like, I got to teach you how to run Sibelius because I don't want right. to be doing this for the next 10 years. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then did you like have to run those transcriptions past um, Chip just to make sure? Or? I, I never really did. He trusted me enough to know um, that I would, you know, I, mm-hmm. what I did is I just notated it. Um, exact what he did on the record. And mm-hmm. so that way, if like another drummer was going to come in, which we've had to do, you know, from time to time, have a sub come in, you know, for whatever reason, um, they can look at that and just go, okay, this is how it was played on the record. And we've tweaked it maybe a little bit here and there just for maybe a live performance as well. This was, this was how it was on the record, but I wasn't playing like that in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are little tweaks here and there, but um, no, Chip knew I was going to write it down just the way he played it. Great. And you, you were just saying that you joined Mannheim Steamroller as a performer right around the time that they started kind of exploding more yeah. and touring a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me how they, uh, how they went from just being uh, kind of a one set band, mm-hmm. uh, one set of musicians, so to speak, to multiple? Yeah. Well, Basically, they were at that point in the early 2000s, they were really, really exploding on their popularity just as far as, you know, selling tickets. So they were doing giant arena shows, you know, 15,000, 16,000 seat arena shows. So, you know, like the one I love talking about the most is they were in Las Vegas. Um, It was right around uh, Thanksgiving time. So I was able to come out, um, just, you know, get away from school for a couple of days. And they played the Mandalay Bay Arena, sold it out, and they actually outsold Elton John that night, wow. which I was like, okay, you know, that's pretty cool, you know, because these guys are legit. And it's just, you know, obviously the people are you know, very receptive to um, you know, the band and, and loving what Chip was doing as far as his records. So, um, you know, he had just put out quite a few Christmas albums um, by the time I was getting, you know, thought about to be a drummer in the band. And I think it was just, you know, it was becoming a lot for Chip to have to think about because they wanted to try to get more shows in. Um, when they were doing the arena shows, it was maybe just maybe one or two shows a week. And I think they wanted to try to get more of a chance for people to come see the band. So that was the idea process there on let's try to get these two bands out and we'll have basically one band go east, you know, and then cross over in the Midwest. The other band goes west. 
and they'll kind of cross over in the Midwest. And that way we can get to a lot of people. We play the show every night Mm -hmm. and it'll be great because, um, you know, people can hear the band in just about any spot in the country on any given year. That's great. Wow. That, that says a lot about, you know, what Chip did uh, to, to produce this, this really, really amazing group. Absolutely. Um, so I would like to find out, how did you yourself learn, you know, about the business of music? And it sounds as though you, you grew up learning it with mm-hmm. your family uh, and being around Mannheim Steamroller. But how did you learn about how, how to get where you are today? Yeah. Is there any more besides that? Well, I mean, the answer to that is really simple. It was through my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad, um, my dad and Chip Davis met back in the 70s because they were both jingle writers. And Mm -hmm. so that's how my dad and Chip got the connection um, originally. And they were both, you know, very, very um, successful there in that Omaha area. Mm -hmm. And um, I just basically, you know, was following my dad around and trying to soak up every single thing that I could. Mm -hmm. And any, you know, chance I could get to go to a gig, um, talk to the musicians that he was hiring, um, and talk to my dad. Um, my mom is also a music teacher, an elementary music teacher. So, you know, the, between the two of them, it was really, really great because they were obviously doing it the right way. Um, just on the etiquette things that you don't really think about, like they don't teach you that when you go to college. Right. And there are lots of things that are just little small nuance things that you can't really be taught until you go out in the industry and actually just see what it's like. And uh, the biggest thing I think for me was just, you know, trying to be nice to people and going with the flow is a big part of it. Um, I think on getting to a level like this, where you get to be in a national band, there are so many qualified players and there are, you know, people out there that can just play amazing. Their technical skills are just, you know, beyond reason, but maybe they aren't the best to go on the road with, you know, and mm-hmm. because we're on very nice tour buses, they're like million dollar, you know, Prevost tour buses, but you also have to live together on the tour bus. Right. And that's a very, you know, common way that bands go out and do it. You know, you hit it, you get on the mm-hmm. tour bus. So, you know, you become, you know, close to these people. I mean, almost as close as your family, if not mm-hmm. closer, because you're spending, you know, such a long period of time together and all day, every day. So, yeah. Um, Long story, you know, there, but my dad was just instrumental on me really learning the business on how to do it right. That's great. And it, yeah, he must have been, been doing something right because he was so inspiring to you to do so. Um, I, I really enjoy hearing about that. And, and how did you then end up going from Omaha to Wisconsin? Um, simple answer, a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, it was, I think, believe it was 2012. Um, I was still living in Nebraska at the time. There was another drummer friend of mine that um, had come through, and I was actually the house drummer at this blues, cl- uh, blues club called the Zoo Bar in Lincoln, Nebraska. So she had come in just on a random whim to come hear me play with the house band. I didn't know her. We started talking, and she said, Well, yeah, I kind of live in the Milwaukee. And I looked on my schedule for that Christmas and I thought, Hey, I'm going to play Milwaukee <laughs> once you come check out the show. So that particular day, we only did one matinee show and it was at the Milwaukee theater there. Sure. And so the bus wasn't going to leave until midnight and I was done at five o'clock and I said, Hey, let's, you know, let's go check out Milwaukee and go you know, check out some of the clubs around town and just, you know, 
I had basically a chauffeur to kind of show me around town a little bit. And as we were driving around, we ended up going down Water Street and there was an Irish pub that was called Brokaw at the time. I, I think it's the Red Lion pub now. But um, I just kind of on a whim thought, hey, that place looks kind of cool. Let's go stop in there. And as we walked in, um, the receptionist said, hey, there's Irish music, live Irish music going on upstairs. And I said, yeah, let's, of course, let's go check it out. Live music. That's great. And my future wife was playing with her band Ahis um, upstairs. And she was at the Mannheim Steamler show with her uh, grandpa and her family. So she kind of knew who I was uh, right away. And, you know, we ended up talking a little bit and exchanging numbers. And um, it was a long distance relationship at first. Sure. Um, but um, half of the Mannheim musicians were Chicago based and they, guy that was the best man at my wedding uh, lives in Chicago. And I had already really, really loved the Chicago area and I'd been thinking about moving there anyway. And so that kind of just, you know, meeting Amy, my now wife was kind of the, you know, kicker to go, Hey, I think it's time to get out of the Nebraska area and go to a bigger market. So moved to the Chicago area and kind of established myself down there first. And Mm -hmm. so that way we could be close to each other. We weren't living together yet, obviously, but that way it wasn't this, you know, big giant, you know, eight hour drive, you know, or trying to fly to see each other. We could see each other several times a week there. And so, yeah, that was kind of my start into getting to this area. And then um, after spending about four years down there, then I moved up to the Milwaukee area because um, my wife and I obviously were, you know, getting engaged. And so I thought, hey, let's, you know, let's find a place up here. And, you know, she was still gigging down in Chicago. So. We just kind of settled on, you know, going out in the Muskego area there, just kind of living more on the south side, um, because that was like, you know, maybe an hour, 20 minute drive to Chicago and, you know, 20 minutes to downtown Milwaukee. And it just kind of seemed like a happy medium there to just kind of settle on, hey, we can still do both markets, you know, even though I wasn't living actually in Chicago anymore. Great. Well, I'm really glad you ended up here. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. And you've been making a name for yourself here. You have your own band, Logan's Run. Correct. Um, a cover band and, and you are, and tell me what else you do in the area here. Yeah. So, um, I'm just a freelance musician. You know, I try to, you know, get hired for as many things, um, as possible. And obviously, you know, growing up with my dad back in Nebraska, uh, the one thing that he really pushed on me was trying to learn as many styles as possible and just being able to read, um, basically any style of music out there. And, it goes to the cruise ship days as well. They would throw all, you know, all kinds of stuff at you, jazz, rock, fusion, um, you know, Caribbean style music. So, um, I ended up just, you know, going and, you know, going to the, some of the open jams around here and starting to know some of the local musicians and, um, just, you know, starting to get a name for myself so people could see me play. And I also took uh, lessons with a guy named Tom Hipskin down in Chicago and, Really, really great drummer. Um, his big gig lately here uh, was the drummer for Hamilton down in Chicago oh, nice. there. And that really helped a lot. Um, just being um, taking with somebody that was really well established in the scene. And so he was able to kind of help me, you know, get jump started a little bit there mm-hmm. as well. Just on trying to get to know more people on who to contact and so forth. Great. What, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you've come across in the industry over the years? Hmm. Well, I think the hardest thing is just going back to what we were just talking about is trying to get people to know you. Um, Even though I felt like I was, you know, getting my name out there quite a bit. And I feel like, you know, the best musicians in there, I do know who I am. 
um, it's still there's still a lot of musicians that don't know who I am. And so I think that's the hardest part is trying to reach out and, and find the mediums without just going to open jams um, mm -hmm. on trying to get into, you know, some of the nicer private gigs. Um, and I think that's probably the hardest thing about, you know, for any musician that moves to a different area, or even if you're from the area and you're just coming up is really getting your name out there is really the toughest thing, um, for any musician coming up because you have to obviously play, but then, you know, as it's gone through the years here, there are less and less music venues out there that are able to do that. And so I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge for me as a musician is just trying to get out there mm -hmm. so that more and more people um, can know my name and know my background that I can obviously play any style of music. So, and obviously being on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> that'll be great. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get you out there as best we can. And uh, I mean, so and speaking of challenges, how is Mannheim addressing this COVID situation right now? It's November 2020 as right. we're recording this. COVID is, is a big, uh, it's still very real. Uh, what are they doing for that? Yeah. So we basically just taken a step back from the touring world, obviously this year, a lot of bands uh, were doing the online streaming stuff. Uh, we decided not to do that this year. Um, there are a lot of complications that go into it uh, with the Mannheim band because we've got so many uh, musicians. We've got the two companies. So you would have to bring in both bands because it wouldn't be fair to just bring in one. Um, so that was one uh, kind of the thing we were going, well, maybe we, you know, shouldn't do this. So really what we've been doing is just trying to push. Um, we've got the Sirius XM. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I believe it's online only, but we've got the Mannheim Steamroller channel on Sirius XM. Oh, that's amazing. So is that new? It's just for November and December. Okay. Yeah. So just for the holidays. And I can't remember that. I think it's maybe like 734 is the okay. actual channel. Something like it's in the 700s. I know that for sure. Um, nice. But it's really cool. 24 hours, seven days a week. You can listen to Mannheim Steamroller. And um, it's out there Worth for it. people yeah. to listen to it that way. And then um, we've also a few years ago, back in 2015, released uh, Mannheim Steamroller Live which was in conjunction with PBS and that was a national broadcast for us. So I believe that's um, something they're trying to push again this year to have that out there just for people to get a check out. I mean, I'm steam performance and that'll be, you know, it's each area is different. Obviously, you know, the local PBS station decides when they want to air that. Um, so that's kind of the things that we've been pushing this year and just taking a step back just because we want to be safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are just so many complications and trying to put, you know, the health of not just the musicians, but then, you know, all of the crew that they do such a tremendous job for us. Um, that's just, you know, paramount to us to right. keep everybody safe and obviously living on a tour bus. It just, you know, didn't seem feasible to go out Absolutely. and do anything this year. Yeah, especially with people from, yeah. you know, crew and musicians from all over the place. For sure. And involved. I know that we are, um, you know, booking already for the 2021 season. So, okay. um, yeah, it's looking good. Obviously the, the vaccine looks like it's going to mm -hmm. be coming out here, you know, sometime at the beginning of 2021. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, the odds are very, very high that obviously you will see mm -hmm. Mannheim Steamler live again in 2021. Mm -hmm. Cause I've already been seeing, uh, ticket sales uh, oh, going up. <laughs> going I'm up glad for next to hear year. that. Yeah. Everyone, there is hope. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Mannheim Steamroller says so. So there you go. Uh, what is one of the greatest lessons you've learned along the way from the, the industry perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest lesson overall is just trying to go with the flow and stay positive. Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy. And that's just a life lesson, obviously, in general. But it's, 
it's so easy to get down uh, when you're out there on the road. Um, you're away from your family. A lot of times I don't get to see my mom, uh, you know, or my dad, uh, my wife, you know, uh, yeah, we're on the road. And I kind of equivocate it to like, you know, being maybe like a military service member or, you know, somebody that does sports where they're having to perform or, you know, do their service overseas. Um, and so I think that's just something that I've always thought to myself, Hey, you know, this is a really, you know, big privilege to be a part of this group. That's, you know, such a big thing. And, um, I really want to stay positive about, you know, being able to do this rather than just, you know, dwelling on something negative, um, because it's something extremely positive. And we always go out and do autograph signing after every show. And, you know, the, the responses from some of these people, I mean, you hear like the most touching stories, you know, from people. I mean, a lot of times, you know, maybe a loved one had passed away and Mayheim Seymour is their favorite band. And, you know, getting to see them, you know, and us perform that, you know, tune live. Maybe it was Silent Night, uh, which is one of our greatest arrangements that we do, you know, Chip wrote. Um, it just, it really touches people. And um, so, you know, I, I just try to think of it as, you know, going into it as keeping as positive as possible. Uh, because, uh, you know, th there are things you can't control, but the one thing you can control is your attitude, mm -hmm. you know? Very well said. Thank you. <laughs> we can all learn from that for sure. Uh, what advice would you give to those looking to be musicians in the uh, industry now? Sure. Um, get to know as many people as you can and, and figure out where the best players are. Um, you know, and obviously right now it's, you know, a little bit of mm -hmm. a, um, a harder thing to do, but just trying to get to know musicians in general, um, because they're the ones that are going to recommend you for gigs. I mean, most of this industry is recommendation based and that's how you end up moving through the food chain. It's not like you get into like, you know, fortune 500 company and then you start in the mailroom and then work up to become president. That's not really how our industry works, unfortunately. So the only way to really, really get out there is just to actually get out there and, and meet people and just be extremely gracious. Um, you don't want to sit there and, you know, tell it, well, you know, you could have just listen and, and take it all in and just really, really try to soak in as much as you can as a musician and learning, even if it's somebody you don't feel maybe was the most technically proficient, you know, on whatever instrument you're trying to learn. Um, there's always something you can learn from any musician out there that's performing because they're obviously, you know, getting paid to do it. And, you know, they've everybody I've seen as a drummer, you know, whether it's just, you know, from a local, you know, club all the way up to the national level, they've got something to offer to you that you can learn and put it into your repertoire. And so I would say that would be the biggest thing is just, yeah, trying to get out there and, and meet the musician. And then obviously, you know, going to school. Mm -hmm. helps a lot. Um, if you get in, you know, with a, a really great teacher, um, they're obviously going to be a, a musician that's gigging in the area as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, it kind of goes into the both things, but, um, you know, the school thing helps a lot. Um, but then also just on your own, you can get out there and just, you know, go check out shows and just go start talking, you know, to the musicians. Right. Taking, yeah. yeah. Taking the bull by the horns, sort of, and, and doing it yourself. Are there examples that you can give of how that's helped for you in your career? Big time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, the, the biggest one for me, um, there's a family friend of ours. His name's Stan Freeze. He's um, the former Disneyland uh, band director. And then he moved up a little bit higher in the food chain. So then he was the overall um, booking um, 
yeah, person for all of the Disney theme parks there. And my dad had met him back in the 70s. So this was a little bit before I was born. Uh, but then as I got to be a little bit older and started getting more into music, um, Stan also became my friend as well. Um, his two sons are tremendous. Um, his son, Jason, is the keyboard player for Green Day. And then Josh, who is the drummer in the family, is pretty much considered one of the best drummers out there. Um, I think right now uh, he's been touring with Sting for the last several years. Uh, but if you go look on any album from like 1990 up till current you'll see josh's uh josh freeze's name on a lot of those albums so he was uh, a really really big help on uh, just getting to know uh somebody more on the national level and um just a really big inspiration to me because obviously his two boys were um successful they were a little bit older than me but i got to meet josh freeze when i was like 14 years old and i knew who he was so that was really really cool you know for me to get to meet one of my idols yeah nice and it just took that asking that willingness to yeah. to put yourself out there and yeah ask for is. help a little bit absolutely yeah you never want to feel afraid to ask mm -hmm. a question and i tell that you know i teach over here at the wawatosa school of music here mm -hmm. in milwaukee and i tell that to my students you know i there are no bad questions to ask me, mm -hmm. you know, um, I never want them to feel like, well, man, I don't, this seems like a really dumb question. There aren't, you know, because you're trying to learn and that's why we're here practicing right now. It's because I want to teach you and you know, anything you, you know, even if it seems the most trivial question, please ask. And I will definitely give you the answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. That's great. Um, do you have a, a gig that has been your favorite or a venue that you've really enjoyed playing at and why? Yeah, there are so many, I, you know, obviously with Mannheim, uh, we played a lot of, you know, beautiful venues um, across the country. Um, I think the one for me, um, I, the Riverside Theater here in Milwaukee is really, really beautiful. Um, it's just a really neat location there. Um, the green room upstairs is really, they've got like video games up there and they always have just like the greatest food. And, and all kinds of drinks for us. Um, so that's definitely, as far as this area, probably my favorite to get mm -hmm. a plan around here. Um, but the number one one for me is, is the Orpheum Theater in Omaha, mm -hmm. Nebraska, because going back to kind of the beginning of the interview here, that was where I grew up as a little kid. And I was sitting in the aisles there playing chess with one of the daughters of one of the other members in the band. And um, to get a finally play there, you know, years later as a musician and obviously Omaha, Nebraska is Mannheim Steamler's home base. The first time I got to hit the stage, I don't get nervous too often, but that first show I kind of was, you know, because mm -hmm. it was just one of those great moments in like, this is pretty cool. You know, yeah. like, I mean, Homecoming. I'm going to have to remember yeah. this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great answer. Uh, you've toured with, um, other musicians such as Chuck Berry and, uh, um, oh, who else did I have down here? Um, yeah, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, was, yes, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it like performing and touring with them? I didn't actually get a tour with those guys. Okay. So the way that worked um, with the Chuck Berry gig, um, they would hire local musicians. So Chuck Berry was coming through. This was probably, I want to say the mid 2000s, something like that. And he was coming through the Omaha area. He needed a couple extra players. So um, he needed a keyboard player and he needed a drummer. So mm -hmm. um, they called my dad. Well, guess what instruments we play? <laughs> <laughs> so my dad gave me the call and said, hey, 
do you want to play drums with Chuck Berry tomorrow? And of course I thought, okay, that's kind of funny. You know, that's, that's kind of a meaningful joke, you know, but no, I'm serious. You know, he's coming in, we'll do a rehearsal. And so, yeah, it was really cool. Um, you know, came in, did a rehearsal, uh, earlier in the day and then just went out and, and hit the show. So it was really, really cool to do that. And then kind of the same idea with the Quincy Jones thing, um, a little bit different on how I got into the band. So and a little more of a higher cachet for me and why I was feeling like right. I could become a musician. Maybe, uh, we had played with my dad's band, a private party the night before, um, at this really, really a uh, great house. There's a guy named Walter Scott who um, runs Kiwit Plaza. They're one of the big billion dollar companies, but they were the ones kind of responsible for bringing in, you know, some of these big name acts for private parties and uh, for fundraisers uh, and such there in Omaha. So at the party the night before Quincy Jones was going to be there. Uh, my dad wanted me to play percussion. And then he hired another guy named Mane Bajan uh, from Senegal. So I was going to play congas. Mane was going to play timbales. And then when Quincy was going to walk in, we were going to do his arrangement of Manteca. And so Quincy walks in and we do the tune and I was like, great. Yeah, I didn't get to meet the guy, but Mm -hmm. I thought that's cool. There's Quincy Jones. Next day, get a call from my dad. Would you like to play with Quincy Jones band tomorrow? And I said, you get to decide who plays in Quincy Jones's <laughs> band, you know, uh, I think they have a pretty good band. <laughs> he said, no, he really, really liked having uh, the percussion. Um, and since they didn't bring percussionists with them, they invited me to go up and do Manteca. And then we also did Soul Bossa Nova, which was the Austin Powers theme song. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was really cool. So I was still pretty young then. I think I was 23. And wow. I, I hadn't done a whole lot of big gigs. Like I hadn't even done the Chuck Berry gig yet. So that was kind of my first, you know, I'd done the cruise ship stuff, but this was kind of first like major, major stars. So I knew, you know, it was like John Patitucci and you could just name off. It was the A-list of A-list guys in the band. But I just thought, hey, you know, I'll just go up and play my thing. And, uh, you know, this should be fine. And so the backup singers in his band, you know, were kind of looking at me like, Hey, yeah, <laughs> this little kid can play. And uh, that was kind of the first, you know, thought in my head, like, well, hey, maybe maybe there's something here. And, you know, like I, I've got it shot at going more than just being a local musician that plays some nice gigs. This could be something if Quincy Jones thinks I'm good enough to play in his band. OK, maybe maybe I can think a little bit more serious, you know, about, yeah. you know, pursuing this as a career here. That's great. Kind of that go with the flow got you Absolutely. <laughs> to that point. Yeah. Good for you. Has there ever been um, any any stigma? I mean, you're you're a straight white guy from Omaha, Nebraska, like yeah. going into some of this music with, you know, Quincy and mm-hmm. with Chuck Berry. Is mm-hmm. there any any you know stigma to that uh, as you're as you're performing in, in those types of groups? Not really. Um, you know, I think that any great freelance musician will mm-hmm. tell you, you need to have the ability to play a lot of different styles. Sure. And, um, it, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, when I was starting to get really heavily influenced, um, you know, I started up, you know, I was classically trained uh, by local teachers in the Lincoln and Omaha area. And but then like around 92 or 93, that's when Nirvana and Soundgarden mm-hmm. And I thought, man, this is really cool. So that's, you know, something that I felt really, really strongly about. But it also let me think about, well, hey, you know, it's not just these bands, too. And then all the classical and jazz stuff like you need to learn how to play 
you know, there are so many styles of music out there and, you know, the learning process should just be continuous for you as a musician. If you're really serious about being a really good freelancer, because there's always something that you probably haven't learned, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can learn the, the broad range of it. But for me, it wasn't really ever a worry to go into a group like that, just because obviously I'd heard those tunes, mm-hmm. um, but I had the technical background training already to know how to feel comfortable on how to play the correct beats and, and such, you know, to go into tunes like that. To just fit right in. Yeah. That's great. What is the craziest style you've ever played? Uh, the Latin, you know, stuff <laughs> is just, it's so much fun. I mean, because it's really technical. And uh, we call it linear drumming yeah. um, in our you know drumming community. There is where you're you know you're you're basically using all four limbs doing something different. So your right hand's playing one pattern, your left hand's playing a separate pattern, your right foot's playing a separate pattern, and your left foot is playing a separate pattern. Wow! And a lot of times in that Latin music, I, they're never giving you the downbeat. You know, the bass players you know playing like on the end of one, <laughs> and you know, so you never get that. You just have to know. And, you know, just to have faith in yourself that, that this is how this is supposed to feel. Um, so, yeah, the Latin drumming, I just I really, really love, you know, playing that stuff as far as the technicality. Sure. Um, but then, you know, as far as what I like the best, I mean, I think, um, you know, I I kind of consider myself a rock drummer at heart just because it's just, you know, John Bottoms, my favorite drummer, you know, for Led Zeppelin. And I just, you know, I when I play rock gigs, I just I feel like, hey. You know, this is this is me and this is what mm-hmm. I do, you know, and I, I, I really, really enjoy doing it the most just because it fits my personality the best. And and just what I feel happiest doing the most, just hitting the snare drum real hard and playing for lots of people. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was nice. You know, I was a good fit for Mannheim because I had the classical training, but they really needed a rock and roll drummer. So right. I had both of those. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I slid in, you know, pretty yeah. seamlessly there. Yeah, that's great. Are there any other topics or or subjects that you would like to bring up? Um, Anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to discuss with regards to the industry or Mannheim's? Yeah, well, I mean, I I would say that it would be nice to, you know, see more venues um, try to, I I don't know, obviously right now, you know, things are still, you know, trying to get recovery here from the COVID. Um, But I would like to try to see more um, investors um, try to put, um, you know, clubs out there in each area uh, for musicians to try to come up them. There's some great places around, you know, Chicago and Milwaukee, but just in any city. Um, but I, you know, talking from some of my friends that are a little bit older than me, I know that there used to just be a ton more. And mm-hmm. obviously some of it comes down to just, you know, people maybe not coming out as much to hear that. Um, but I think that, you know, it would be nice to see a little bit more, um, investment. And I feel like, you know, in the larger cities, you're starting to see that a little bit more. There used to be more jazz clubs and like, and mm-hmm. I know just in Omaha, which is our home base, Mannheim, um, there's a beautiful new jazz venue that opened up just last year and really, really catering to helping the musicians obviously get out there and play, mm-hmm. but then just getting a chance um, for, you know, up and coming musicians to go out and hear, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things that I was talking about earlier is just, there aren't as many places to go check out the musicians play live unless you, you know, you go to a show, but the clubs are really where you get that personal connection, mm-hmm. you know, because like you go down to Nashville or New York or LA, you can go up, um, and talk to the musicians and, you know, these guys are, you know, the top tier game. 
they'll be on these huge tours, but then they like going to play the club gates. And, you know, that's, what's really cool is that that gives you your chance to actually meet these people and realize these are not just, you know, these gods that play in all these albums that you're used to listening to on the radio. These are people. And I think, you know, if that, especially, you know, like in our area here in Milwaukee, um, there, like I said, there are some, some great venues, but if, you know, there are a few more that could, you know, get some investments going to, you know, get yeah. those out that that would be nice to see. Uh, but I know obviously that's, you know, something that it's going to maybe take someone and especially the way it is right now with, you know, the COVID, you know, it's, it's going to be a while, but I think before people feel comfortable, maybe even coming back out, but yeah. down the road, hopefully that, you know, changes. Well, maybe some folks are listening right now there and maybe go. we can get some ideas generating. So That'd be great. I sure hope so. Yeah. Great thoughts there. Um, where, where can we find out more information on you? Absolutely. So um, you can go check out my website. It's Logan dash. It's just a hyphen Pennington. It's P E N I N G T O N. And my dad and mom always joke. It's the one and only. So if you spell it with two N's, it won't pop up. So <laughs> it's one and only. And um, that just kind of gives um, a general broad range of me playing some um, you know, drum tracks and stuff that you can see, but also I always have links on there when the Mannheim tour is going, you can link it up to the Mannheim steamroller. So you can see where I'm going to be with Mannheim during the Christmas season. And then it's got links also to my Logan's run band page, um, which is my, um, cover band that I do. Um, so basically, yeah, if you go to my website, you can check everything out there, see my bio and just, you know, contact me through, uh, through that page there. Awesome. Everything is there. And then, um, lastly, can you tell us a little bit about the piece of music that you selected for us to play? Yeah. So, um, going back to what I was talking about before with the PBS special, uh, this was uh, a really big deal for me because I hadn't got to play on any of the Mannheim Steve um, albums up to that point. Obviously, you know, Chip took care of and rightfully so, you know, he still wanted to be the guy. This was my first shot to actually, Hey, Mannheim Steamroller, and then Logan Pennington gets a little tiny credit on the back there <laughs> <laughs> for me. That was a huge deal. And then, you know, the Carol of the Bells, like we always do that at the end of the second half. So it's a big drum feature at the end. Um, but it was really, really cool because I thought, you know, I got to nail this. Um, but anyway, so we're going to be hearing Carol of the Bells um, live at the Orpheum Theater, and it was recorded in 2014, but it was released in 2015. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for bringing us your music and your story. Uh, it was it was great to talk with you. Thanks again, Logan Pennington. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Today's featured patrons are Aaron and Toby Denk of Bayview, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're so grateful for their continued support of Wisconsin Music Ventures, and it's very appropriate that they are our featured patrons today as Aaron is a percussionist herself. So thanks again, guys. We appreciate you.
The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.